Previously on the Discover the Word podcast. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Yeah, those are the words of a blessing that Marta Han calls a surprise in the wilderness. I think this is one of the most wonderful texts of scripture that has raised all kinds of questions in my mind which I think can lead us together to some wonderful conclusions. And so in part two of this podcast about the surprise in the wilderness, Marty Hahn and Elisa Morgan and Bill Crowder and Daniel Ryan Day are going to continue to explore together where this blessing comes from and why this ironic or priestly blessing tucked away in the Old Testament book of Numbers is so significant, providing context for how the rest of the story of the Bible plays out. So pull a chair up to the table for part two of our study called A Surprise in the Wilderness on the Discover the Word podcast. And it is great to be back with you for the second half of our look at this key passage of Scripture in Numbers chapter 6. As we've discovered, kind of a strange location to find these crucial concepts and perspectives strange location in so many ways, not just where in the Bible it's found, but where geographically this blessing was given, where chronologically it took place in the history of the Bible. It truly is a surprise in the wilderness. And uh, Mart and Elisa and Bill and Daniel are going to continue to unpack it together over the course of the next hour. Now, psychologists tell us that we all have a need, a powerful need, to know that someone in this world loves us and accepts us unconditionally. And best case is when parents can bless their children with that. But understanding how love can be unconditional is also difficult. Seems like in every relationship there are some conditional things about how that love is experienced. And so we're going to start part two of this series of conversations about this surprise in the wilderness blessing in the pages of the Old Testament that has at its foundation an understanding of the conditional slash unconditional love of our Heavenly Father for us. So let's listen as Mark begins by referring to a book that has now sold over two million copies that touched on this strong desire to feel blessed and unconditionally accepted by our parents. Do you remember the book titled The Blessing. I think it was published way back in 1990. Way before your time. No, I was how, born. How old were you? I was like three. <laughs> you were three. And you don't remember? I don't remember. You yeah. should have read it by well, that time. Yeah. I read it by five. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, right. Underachieved. I remember yeah, Gary Smalley and, <laughs> and John, John Trent, Trent, two mm-hmm. authors. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what the idea of the blessing was? My take on it is that it was about receiving the blessing of your father Yeah, and, and the difference that can make in who you are. Yeah, as sons and daughters, mm-hmm. how desperately we need the blessing. They drew in our earthly parents and compared to our heavenly Yes, father. right. And they made a big thing out of the idea that every child deserves to have the unconditional love of a parent. Right. Okay? And our broken families don't usually offer us that, but God always does. Yeah, yeah that's actually what I was going to comment on was um, I've been in the middle of studying different versions of abuse, and one of the devastating effects of childhood abuse is the fact that this child sees this parent as all-powerful, so to speak, or the authority, 
And as they are brushing up against that parent, trying to figure out their place in the world, the parent's acknowledgement of them, the parent giving them some space to stretch their wings a little bit, shows them what it means to mature, gives them value and dignity. And when the opposite of that happens, yeah. mm-hmm. how devastating that can when be. When they all of a sudden feel fearful and dirty and afraid of what has happened to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But these two authors, they did a lot of work with the kind of stuff that all of us can relate to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, father issues. Mm-hmm. Father issues. Because all of us, to some degree or another, have father issues because no matter how good our fathers may have right. been, they were imperfect. And it affects our relationship with God or how we view God. Yeah, and how we view love. Mm-hmm. Yes. It seems to me that for most of us, we have probably struggled with the idea of conditional or unconditional love. And we have probably have seen that, oh, wait a minute, there's a conditional side of love, isn't there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And in a healthy sense, mm-hmm. or is it just unhealthy? I think it's mostly manifested in ways that are unhealthy. But I do think that like everything else in life, there needs to be a balance to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's what I think it's important for us to take another look at. We had some conversations last week about what we call the Aaronic blessing. Mm-hmm. It's the blessing that God entrusted to Moses to be given to Moses' brother, Aaron, Moses was the lawgiver primarily. Aaron became the patriarch of the priesthood of Israel. And God told Moses, entrust to Aaron these words. Let's read them. And as we do, let's think about the difference between conditional and unconditional love as it plays out in parent-child relationships and as it plays out in our relationship with the Father in heaven. Because I think we're going to see that there's got to be a healthy dimension to both unconditional and to conditional, Mm -hmm. depending on how we see it. Mm -hmm. Let's start then with Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. Let's read through 27. Okay, Elisa, will you begin? The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. Okay. What do you see here? Conditional or unconditional blessing? I mean, do you even see love at all? Well, you know what? I see all of these things that they're appealing for as components of how God expresses his love. How does God express his love. Well, sometimes it's by keeping you. And to go back to the parent-child illustration, what are one of the ways that a child knows that they're loved? Well, they're cared for. They're protected. They're provided for, right? Yeah. Now, I don't see conditional in this, but then when I look around it and see the context of where this ends up, it feels more conditional. Okay. What are you seeing? So we're in Numbers, which is one of the books that describes the expectations that God has for how the Israelites should live. And where are they living at the time? They're living in the wilderness at the base of Mount Sinai. Yeah. And Moses keeps going up on the mountain and hearing from God. And we have this whole scene of the law being given to Moses to then go down and to tell Israel, this is how you should live. They're in the wilderness and they're getting the law. Mm -hmm. Okay. What are the conditions of the law? (sighs) Very difficult to keep to live up to. Yeah. And in past conversations, we've talked about how numbers goes on and reports they really didn't keep the law. Or could. Or couldn't keep the law. Okay. Let's back way up. We're also talking about God's heart in blessing. And we're saying that has a lot to do with how he loves us. Go back to the first blessing. Talking about Abraham? 
Let's go back further than that. With Adam and Eve. Adam and where Eve. Where God blesses them with relationship with himself, with relationship with each other, with this perfect environment in which to live. Is it conditional or unconditional? No, he just puts them there. They didn't do anything to earn it. It seems like the whole thing's conditioned on man's response, that God's blessing is unconditional. And what's the test of their response? Well, they didn't obey the one rule uh, I mean, that he put in And what place. was the one rule? Eat of the forbidden tree. Yeah. The free of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I think it's fairly easy to see the love of God expressed mm-hmm. in paradise, in the garden. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, all these trees you can eat. Just one, don't. Yeah. And God's giving, 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 giving. Mm-hmm. He's caring yeah. for them. He's keeping them. Yeah. He's being gracious to them. Walk, he's walking, walking with he's them. He's walking yeah. with them, okay? Mm-hmm. And you see his immediate expression of love to them without the word being used by, in the short term, providing covering for their now acknowledged nakedness, and in the long term, providing a promise of a more permanent kind of rescue. Okay, you've jumped ahead a little bit, but you're right, exactly. His love doesn't stop. But what happens in their experience of his love the moment they bite of the fruit? Their eyes are open. They're ashamed. Yeah, we don't know for sure. They're cut off. They see God as distant from them. How do we know that? They hide from him. What do they think about themselves? That they're horrible. They're ashamed. All of a sudden, weren't they tasting something of that? Naked and afraid. It's Mm -hmm. naked and afraid, Mm -hmm. and they run in, they're covering themselves. How are they feeling about God right there, about his love? Well, they're afraid of him. Forget his love, right? I mean, something has happened. They're broken. There's broken. Mm -hmm. There's consequence. And Mm -hmm. in a sense, all of those things that were blessings in the garden before are part of the consequences. Right. Because they lose access to the garden and the perfect environment. Their relationship with God is disrupted, and their relationship with each other is affected. Okay. And there begins the story. It begins now just chapter after chapter after chapter. Finally, we get... The fourth book of Torah, of the five books of of Moses, Mm -hmm. okay? And now within this chapter of the story, we have God, as you indicated, Daniel, giving the laws, the covenants to Israel. And we know now there's a wonderful side to that covenant, Mm -hmm. and there's a side of consequence. There's a bad side as well. So they're getting these laws, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of all of this, you get this amazing story It looks kind of like a story, except it's just a promise of blessing. Mm. And it feels so unconditional. How does that fit in a life of consequence? Mm. I think it shows us that while there are consequences to our actions that disrupt maybe our understanding or relationship or whatever with God— his view of us doesn't change. Okay. His attitude toward us doesn't change. And that change. goes back, Bill, to what you were saying before mm-hmm. about what God did mm-hmm. when his children ran into the woods, covered themselves, feeling dirty, feeling naked, feeling mm-hmm. ashamed. And you say that again now, what you said before. Well, there was a short term and a long term. The short term was he provided covering for them and their nakedness. The long term was he promised that the seed of the woman would come to their rescue. Yeah. Couldn't you say at that point, we're getting a hint that his love is unconditional, but the experience of his love, and he's just loving enough to say, you know what, if you distrust me, if you run and do something that I've urged you not to do, Mm -hmm. it's not going to be good for you. There's going to be consequences. And so there's a conditional dimension to our experience of his love. That's right. In a way, I think it's that God's love is unconditional, but our experience of it, man's, woman's, is not. It's conditional. It's our choice. But God is not the kind of person who changes. His actions change, right? right. But it's just like we've been using the context of human fathers as well. If I'm a little boy 
and my dad says, don't go out and ride your bike right now. And I go out and ride my bike and I wreck it. My father's love for me doesn't change. But all of a sudden, I don't want to see him like this because he knows that I've disobeyed him. And now our relationship becomes different. Yeah, but Ken, as a father, can you relate to these words now? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine in you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they, the priests, God says to Moses, will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Mm -hmm. Even the expression of these words are an expression of the blessing and the love of God. A love that is unconditional, not just for them, but for us as well. amazing blessing that God gives us. And I think as we continue to unpack this blessing, we're going to see even more how the message this blessing communicates fits into the bigger story that the Bible is telling. And so, did you know that there are over 38,000 James Smiths in the United States? And that there are over 32,000 Maria Garcias? (laughs) Isn't it amazing that so many people have the same name? But, you know, even though they share a name, each individual, James Smith or Maria Garcia, is unique. They each have a -a one-of-a-kind story to tell, and their name is a window into that story. Well, in this fairly short blessing that we're looking at, God's name is emphasized at least three times. Think that may be significant? Well, let's spend some time with the group talking about names and how God's name is a window into the story of Israel and the story of our lives. This is going to sound real general. Okay. Okay. Stay with me. Okay. What is the significance of a personal name? I'm going to answer that in a weird way and make it be normal. (laughs) Okay, we're talking Um, about people, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking about human beings. Yeah. Sometimes it almost seems like names are given with no thought or value attached to those names. But when you look at people in the Bible, their names were given to them with real purpose. Yeah. And you wonder how that yeah. happened, right? It's kind of yeah. like their name almost foreshadows their life yeah. a lot of times. Right. Yeah. And you say, you know, were these names given to them after the But fact? if you've ever done any research on the meaning of your own name, Elisa comes from Elizabeth. It means consecrated to God. And when I found that out, I was like, Shazam. <laughs> you know, that's a lot to live up to. But it's kind of pulled me forward. Yeah. So when we found out we were having our third boy, we were a little disappointed at first. And uh, if you're allowed to be disappointed because on Because you wanted like a that. girl. Because I really wanted a girl. Uh, uh. And um, the name that my wife and I had picked out was Ava Rain if we had had a girl. But so then we found out we were having our third boy. And then she came out, Ava. <laughs> and so we actually changed her middle name to Eliana instead of Ava Rain because Eliana means God is answered. Mm. And so Ava Eliana, song that God answers. Beautiful. And so there's a lot of significance in her name. You guys are so spiritual. Yeah. yeah I'm not yeah. near that spiritual, but <laughs> I'm William Earl Crowder Jr. And the reason I'm a junior is because I was born on my dad's birthday. Interesting. So. See, now my name is Martin. Mm-hmm. Mart, I let go, okay? Mm-hmm. Actually, mm-hmm. I was named after my grandfather. Yeah, sure. Okay, Martin Ralph Tehan. But let's take it another step now. Once you know a person's name, is that all you need to know about that? Okay, Elisa, dedicated, consecrated to God. Bill, born on his dad's birthday. Yeah. And then Daniel. God is my judge. God is 
Really? Well, that's, that's what my name yeah. means. Okay, here's the question. I mean, is that all there is to a name? Yeah. What's the significance of your personal name? Bill, think about Elisa. Think about Daniel. It's representative of who they are. It opens up a door for how I think about them. Mm. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. In fact, I watched a video recently, and they were talking about in Scotland, all the houses have names on them instead of numbers. Mm, I love and that. the significance of that is the fact that this house doesn't represent a number, but a whole life, a family, a history. There's so much more to these people than just, oh, that's eight, yeah. whatever road. And imagine looking through a historical text. You got a picture of a man or of a woman, and there's a name with it. Mm-hmm. You got a picture, Yeah. got their face, you know what they look like, you got their name. Do you know them? Not yet. Why not? You need to know more about them, the person exactly. behind the name. You don't know anything about Elisa until you got a little bit of what she's been mm-hmm. through, what In you like, In fact, you might have known another like. Elisa, and it's easy to think this Elisa's like that Elisa. And each no, one of us no, is unique. No, exactly. Mm-hmm. So a name really is simply a way of referring to the personality, mm-hmm. to the heart of somebody. Yeah. Now think of that as we look at the text that we've been just kind of exploring together. Numbers chapter 6 verses 20 through 27, a very short text. It's kind of like it just shows up mm. within the story of Israel. At least it seems to. It almost to. feels like a sidebar. Yeah, exactly. It seems to come out of nowhere. But let's read together Numbers chapter 6. But this time, watch for what it says about the significance of names. Elisa, we begin. Sure. Verse 22. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the Israelites and I then will bless them. Okay. In terms of names, what does this text say about names? Well, the only direct reference is verse 27. So they will put my name on the Israelites. Okay, I wasn't thinking of that. (laughs) But you're right. That is the most. That's the most... Because it says name. It says right? name. Yeah, and if you look at verse 22, the whole setup for it is the Lord, yeah. his name, yeah. speaking to Moses, his, his name, name, and yeah. all that. Okay, Aaron. And then Aaron and yeah. all he represents, and then they aren't named, but then his sons, and then the sons of Israel. Right. So you have Israel's name okay, too. Okay, so you got a bunch of designations yeah, there. Yeah, okay. a bunch of names. All right, now, you said the Lord's name, so they will put my name. Mm-hmm. How many times is the name of the Lord implied or said directly in this text every time you find it the lord bless you okay the lord make his face the lord lift up his countenance and then verse 22 the lord said to moses and then in verse 27 i will put my name put my name and i will okay now when it says the lord here in our bibles i would imagine all of us it's kind of like little capitals Mm -hmm. but l-o-r-d l-o-r-d in caps caps. Mm -hmm. what does that refer to well, we have learned that it refers to the I am, the Yahweh. The Yahweh, Jehovah. God. We really don't know. Right. It was just mm-hmm. a series of, what, four letters. Yeah. But would you agree that in this text, in this blessing, the name of the Lord, you know, it comes right to the front. Mm. What is the significance of all that? And see, here's the danger sometimes we face when we, on this side of the cross in the empty tomb, read a text like this, because we read into it, Lord, as it was used about Jesus and Lord as well, Jesus is Lord of my life and yeah. things like that. And that's not what the no. Hebrews would have heard. Right. Right? Let's go back a little bit, okay, into okay. their history. Go back with me to uh, Exodus chapter 3. And let's take a look first at verses 1 through 6. This name that we've been talking about, 
shows up here. Daniel, start reading that, and then maybe Bill and Elisa. Sure. Just uh, three, one through six. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. And so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Okay. He reveals himself in this bush that is burning but is not consumed. Mm -hmm. And he introduces himself as what? The God of his ancestors. Mm -hmm. I am, and then the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And just think how many times that description of God is repeated throughout the mm-hmm. Old Testament. In because that's the process, one generation after another. Yeah, in the process yeah. of identifying who the one true God mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. He was revealing to Moses that this is in my history. This is the God of Abraham, of Isaac. And then you just fill in all the lines, mm-hmm. all the events, mm-hmm. all the trauma, mm-hmm. all of the mm-hmm. times when God showed that he was faithful or showed the, his wisdom to them. Okay, now just jump to verses 11 through 15, and let's just take it a little further. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, thus shall you say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. And God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial name to all generations. What are they to call him? I am that I am. Then it's the self-existent one, the I am. The I am. It's like the name plus the knowledge of who that God is. Mm-hmm. That's who he is. Mm-hmm. So really, when we talk about the name of God, we're really talking about the personality of God, the person of God. It's not this magical, if you say these four letters in Hebrew, yeah. if you could figure <laughs> out how they were pronounced. Yeah. It's not that. And it's not even calling him by the other names, sufficient God or the provider. It's not even that. It's the person behind that name. Mm-hmm. It's the heart behind that name. That's the God who is giving to Moses to be entrusted to Aaron these words of blessing, that it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of creation, who wants to bless you, be gracious to you, to keep you, the God who, who wants to turn his face towards you and give you peace. So the blessing is really him putting his name on them and his being on them so that we know who we belong to it's the person of god that's the name of god and so the blessing 
really has a lot to do with uh, God putting his name on them and on us. So they would have no doubt who they belong to and so that we would have no doubt who we belong to. You're listening to the Discover the Word podcast and part two of our study of an important blessing that we find in Numbers chapter 6 that we're calling the surprise in the wilderness. And this may seem like a random question, but uh, how do you get into your computer or your phone? Do you use a combination of letters and numbers and characters? Do you use your finger, your fingerprint to get in? Or do you use your face? Do you use facial recognition as your password? Just wondering, because in the next part of our conversation, we're going to discover that facial recognition and God are important parts of this blessing in number six. Intrigued? Well, that conversation follows this quick break. Now, location in the wilderness is a big factor in our understanding this blessing that we're focusing on in Numbers chapter 6. And we have a resource that we want to point you to that will help you to gain a deeper understanding of Scripture as you explore the locations where some of the key events in Scripture took place. Dr. Jack Beck is our resident Bible geography expert here at Our Daily Bread Ministries. Uh, He's been part of our Discover the Word conversations a number of times, and he's also done a significant amount of work with our film and video teams, in which he takes you to locations in Israel and makes biblical passages come alive by making the geography of the Bible meaningful. He's not wrong when he says that location always matters and that there is geography on basically every page of the Bible. And so I want to encourage you to watch a seven-episode video series called Along the Road. In this free video series on our Our Daily Bread Ministries YouTube channel, Dr. Jack Beck shares his extensive experience in biblical geography, providing key insights that will enhance your own spiritual journey. So look for Along the Road or any of the many other videos with Jack Beck on our Our Daily Bread Ministries YouTube channel. And now let's talk about facial recognition and the surprise in the wilderness. Imagine talking to a grandparent about uh, face reading technology. You know, would they have any idea what you're talking about? I am a grandparent, and I own an iPhone that I can hold up to my face. Really? And it recognizes You do. Me, You've and it got face recognition technology. Yeah, but so, see, when I hear your question, Mart, I hear it differently. I think about trying to explain it to my grandparents oh, who were born in the 19th okay. century yeah. and trying to help them understand it. I think of two things. Number one is I have to help my dad with his phone all the time, and he's not my grandparent, so <laughs> <laughs> he's still learning. And then the other one was seeing a commercial recently about face recognition and how you can pay by just doing a look. Pay your bill. Through your, Pay phone, your bill. Through your phone. Through your phone. By it does face recognition. I haven't looked into it that it's far yet. dangerous. Blink yeah, your eyes does. three times. <laughs> but isn't this <laughs> a little weird, a little spooky to think that a computer, this phone, reads my, mm-hmm. my face? If you think too much about what computers are capable of doing today, you'll lose your mind. Okay, so let's forget about <laughs> computers, all right? Let's talk about ourselves. You're pretty good at reading people's faces, Elisa? I think so. You think so? Somewhat. 
somewhat. Okay. I mean, there's just body language that we yeah. can make out. And uh-huh. yeah. I know that sometimes when I speak, although make the wrong conclusion, there are some people who wrinkle up their brows when they're listening and you ah. think, oh, they disagree. And they'll be the one person who races up to you afterwards to say, that was awesome and blah, yeah. blah, blah. And I was thinking so hard. And you're like, wow, totally misread. Yeah. When you see somebody doing something with their face, if you see somebody smiling, is that one of the best ways of knowing what they're thinking mm. toward you? Or if they're smirking. <laughs> That's the deal, isn't it? Yeah. What is a smile meant to do? Welcome. Welcome. And communicate favor. Yeah. And delight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A smirk is the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to know somebody's heart. And I smirked when I said <laughs> okay, that. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes a smirk, you can figure that out. Okay. But you can't figure that out till you get to know somebody, right? My wife knows the difference between my smile and my smirk. Okay. But if I came in with a smirk, you might not know if you don't know who I okay. am. If you're referring to somebody, their face is just radiant. What would you imagine their emotion would be? Joy. Mm-hmm. Joy. Happiness. Yeah. Delight. Fulfillment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to our text now. Numbers chapter 6. I just am so intrigued by what we refer now to the Aaronic blessing, the priestly blessing that God entrusted to Moses, the lawgiver, to be given to Aaron, his brother, who was the high priest, basically, of Israel. This time when we read it, pay special attention to references to face. Mm. Alisa, we begin reading Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you're to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Anybody have a different Translation for verse 26, then countenance. Mine says face. The Lord turn his face toward you. So the yeah. word face is... Yeah. Face and countenance mm-hmm. is about the same thing, mm-hmm. okay. Okay. okay? All right. How many references to face here then? If countenance, as it reads in some of our translations... Well, there's two. Mm-hmm. Okay. And one is lifting up countenance. The other is making face shine. Both of them are very active ideas. They're not passive at all. Okay. So how important would you say that the idea of the face of the Lord is to this blessing. Pretty important. Yeah. And there's history for this. His face has been involved with Moses elsewhere. Yeah. Should we take a look at... Can okay. I ask one question? Yeah, sure. First? Okay, sure. so it says to make his face to shine upon you. Mm. What does that mean? I mean, is that like God's glory shining down or what does it mean that his face would shine on you? Okay. I mean, is there something obvious here or not? Well, there was something in history when somebody would be brought into the presence of a king, if the king looked at them and then turned away, they would immediately be removed from the king's presence. But if he looked on them and smiled, they were welcome. Yeah. Hmm. So there seems to be this idea of a radiant face. It seems to even have had its place, whether a face is turned towards someone with acceptance and approval, or as Mm -hmm. you indicated, Bill, turning away from. Mm -hmm. And there is a concept of smile here as well. Yeah, because it's welcoming. Exactly. Yeah, the graciousness of this face. Okay, let's look back a little bit of the history of this. Let's back up in the story of Israel, back to Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 through 20. But I think it's important that we know what is going on here. The Lord is telling Moses that it's time now I want you to take the people, your family, the nation of Israel, onto this land that I'm going to give you. And Moses is saying, yeah, but you got to go with me, Mm. all right? Mm. And Moses also wants the Lord's favor on him and on the people as they go forward. And then Moses asks the Lord to show his glory because that's basically what the Lord is promising, his shining presence with Moses as they go forward. So, Elisa, why don't you just read verses 18 through 20, 
Okay. Sure. Exodus chapter 33. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. What do you make of that? Hmm. Do do you find this to be kind of like a dark moment? Why can't I see your face, Lord? Mm, It's confusing. How does he describe himself? How does the Lord describe his heart? Well, you have found favor in my sight. I know you by name. Mm-hmm. You know, last time we talked a lot about the name mm-hmm. and God saying, Moses, I know your name. Mm-hmm. I know your history. I know who you are, your personality, your essence, your being, and you have found favor in my sight. And so of all people, you think, well, if Moses asked to see God's face, that God would say, okay, here I am. Yeah. I think what's in play here a little bit is um, what theologians would call God as the divine other that there's just more there than we can take in and absorb, that God's just too big for our comprehension. So when he says, you can't see my face, he's maybe meaning you can't see my glory in its entirety. Yeah, you can't absorb it all. Mm. It's too much. Does he give him anything at all? He shows him his goodness, and he declares his name. And he describes that he will show what? Compassion and grace. He's a God of compassion and grace. Yeah. He's giving a hint, but he won't show the whole thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Which takes us forward to the New Testament where Paul wrote, for we have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing, though? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because we have seen his face. We've seen his face, (laughs) yes. It's like in this moment in the Old Testament, we've got kind of like mixed signals. It's Mm -hmm. like, now God says, I'll show you my goodness. I'll give you evidence of my goodness. I want you to know I'm a God who shows compassion and grace, but you're not going to be able to see my face. Why do you think he withheld it until the New Testament? Any idea? Hmm. Not to derail us again, but as we've been in another conversation, we looked at Moses when he first met with God at the burning bush. And in that passage, it says Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look Mm -hmm. at God. And now we see him charged to take the people in and he desires his face. And God, in his mercy and compassion, says, my face is too much for you. It goes on at the end of chapter 33, and the Lord covers Moses and yeah. puts him in a cleft of a rock and passes over him, but says, you can't see my face. So I'm seeing this confusing, but lovely progression of Moses wanting more of God and God providing more for Moses. But as we're saying, it's not until the New Testament, yeah. it's not till Jesus. But there is so much more of God, centuries to unfold, not until Jesus comes along, is the world ready to see the face of God in a way that we can understand, probably not in the ultimate sense. But when we see the face of God in Jesus, are we seeing the real thing? And what does seeing the face of God in Jesus tell us about God's heart? It takes us to the ultimate, doesn't it? To the ultimate expression of the love of God who bears the worst we can give him to show us that when he gave to Moses to be entrusted to Aaron, this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. He was looking far beyond what any human or any nation could begin to understand. And something that to this day, we're still trying to figure this out. What does it mean to have a God who loves us unconditionally to bless us this much, to bear all of the wrongs that we could throw at him? on the cross 
to give us himself, his name, and his life, the favor of his face forever. Let's go back in history to the days when parents chose the husband for their daughter hmm. or who agreed to let yeah. their, their arranged daughter. Marriages. Yeah. Arranged marriages. Yeah. So back in history for us, but some communities in the world still. You're right. Yeah. Why do you want right. to go back there? <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine what it would be like not to voluntarily mm. choose to devote your life, the rest of your life to a person. Mm. Well, you know, in some of those cultures, kids were trained to view this as a gift because the hardest decision they were ever going to make in their life, they didn't have to make it alone. Yeah, yeah, it's hard for me to even think about it because I think of all the movies and the songs and all that that reinforce this love at first sight, yeah. falling in love, dating culture mm-hmm. that we live in. So it's hard to think of anything else. Yeah, some people claim that it actually was a more stable kind of culture because, for one thing, the parents would have been in a position to know what kind of economic matches might work. Mm-hmm. Plus, it also it takes love or commitment or caring for one another mm. out of this romantic world of falling it's in love. It's more commitment-oriented instead yeah. of romantic-oriented. And it's reinforced by the culture. Mm. The reason I wanted to talk about it is because we've been looking at the Aaronic blessing, this wonderful blessing in the Old Testament where the Lord speaks to Moses. They're in the region of the Sinai. The nation of Israel has been getting the law the nation is also pretty upset about the conditions, right? Mm-hmm. You know, what's it like to live when you don't know where the water's going to come from? Mm-hmm. Or the where food. are we going to get our food? And are we ever going to find this promised land we yeah. were yeah. It's been yeah. a lot of time. <laughs> Think what wondering. it's like. I mean, they had this amazing rescue out yeah. of Egypt. They'd been in bondage for how long? Oh, 400 years Yeah, or over something. 400, yeah. 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 Crying out to the Lord. And the scriptures say the Lord heard their groans. Mm-hmm. He sent Moses to rescue them, a traumatic rescue, but nevertheless a real rescue. And apparently hundreds of thousands of people came across the Reed Sea or the Red Sea on dry ground. Mm-hmm. The waters closed back on the Egyptian armies and the enemy was removed. But they ended up where? In the wilderness. In a wilderness. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't yeah. feel like a rescue, does it? Yeah, I feel like, you know, when we go on trips with our young kids, you know, we get that famous question, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Yeah. Are we there? I can just imagine all these little kids pulling on their mom or dad's cloaks saying, mm. is this it? Yeah. Yeah. Is this the yeah. promised land? And remember, within <laughs> a few days, what was happening? What were the parents saying? They were grumbling. They were complaining about the God who led them out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. They were complaining about him not taking care of them once he got them yeah, there. Yeah, and they thought, actually, did he bring us out here? They said, did he bring us to kill us here in the wilderness? Yeah, exactly. We'd rather have stayed Died where we Egypt. were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the negative side. They were feeling it. I think as individuals, we can understand, we can relate to how they would have felt as parents. They didn't know where their kids were going to get their food or their water. Okay, now let's look at the bright side. We can look back on that whole thing. They were scared to death. And we look back and say, what was the good side of the wilderness? Well, it gave them 40 years to learn who God was and how much he cared for and them. And what did they find out about God during that time in the wilderness? Good things. What, Every day he provided what did he do? manna. He provided his What's manna? food. Okay. <laughs> and it just fell from heaven. And yeah. they could gather it up and eat for the day. And what else did they experience? It was a timeline of faithfulness. They saw him leading them during the day mm-hmm. with a cloud. At night, some form of fire, pillar of fire that was leading them. And, and in night. a wilderness, what would the cloud have meant for them? 
shade. Protection from the sun, yeah. Right. And at night, what would the pillar of fire have meant for them? Protection. Mm-hmm. And light. Yeah. Yeah, protection and light. Plus, your clothes, your shoes aren't going to wear out. In the wilderness, you can't just go to Walmart and get some more shoes. Right. But in the moment, they hated it. Yeah. It scared them to death. Mm-hmm. They couldn't figure out, yeah. where's this land that you promised? Mm-hmm. And the way of life that yeah. they, was so familiar to them. Yeah. There things they could control and schedule and predict didn't right. exist. But in the middle of it all, the Lord was reminding them. And we've gotten some of that reminder from this wonderful, beautiful text that we've been looking at. Let's read again what the Lord gave to Moses, these words of blessing. Elisa, would you begin verses 23 through 27? And number six, right. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the Israelites and I then will bless them. Okay. We've been saying there's an unconditional side to it because what this blessing represents in the name of the Lord and in his face, a God of grace, a God who wants to be gracious to his Mm -hmm. people. And we, looking back, say, in fact, he was. Mm -hmm. He was gracious to them. Mm -hmm. The other side of it is this blessing kind of like in more than one way, seems to pop out of nowhere. I mean, where does this come from? (laughs) In this book of Numbers, it seems ill-fit. Yeah. Like misplaced or something. Exactly. For reason of the fact that in the moment they were in the wilderness and they weren't always seeing such Mm -hmm. a gracious God. Mm -hmm. But for another reason as well, and this is more textual, this is more literary. Look what it's couched in. This wonderful blessing is like folded in between two very unusual things. neighbors. (laughs) What's the neighbor on the left? The Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow. Which isn't even for all the people. Yeah. It's a small group. (laughs) Exactly. A small group. What's the neighbor on the right? It's uh, the offerings that the leaders have to give. Yeah. The sacrifices they have to make. Which goes on for pages. Exactly. (laughs) And we'll talk about that more, I hope, in our next conversation. But for right now, let's just look at the neighbor on the left. It's called the Nazarite vow. Mm -hmm. What do we know without reading? Because it's kind of lengthy. What do we know about the Nazarite vow? Were the Nazarites a people? No, it was more a designation of a subset. Yeah. Kind of like a class. What's verse 1 of chapter 6? The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, if a man or a woman wants to make a special vow, a vow of dedication to the Lord as a Nazarite, they must abstain from wine, another fermented drink. First of all, it's a voluntary vow. Mm-hmm. If a man or a woman mm-hmm. wants to show mm-hmm. their devotion to the a Lord. A special vow. They yeah. voluntarily want to show their commitment to him. And this is what they're to do. Abstain from wine and anything related to mm-hmm. the vine. Yeah. No razor has to be used to their head in verse 5. Okay. They must be holy until the period of their dedication okay, to the Lord. Okay, I think we missed the person. second. Okay, yeah, the don't touch a dead person. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's a voluntary expression of devotion mm-hmm. to the Lord, and they are to express it by avoiding any drink, mm-hmm. any wine, mm-hmm. don't corrupt yourself by mm-hmm. touching a dead body, and don't shave your head for the remainder of your vow. Why those three things? Why no wine? Well, because if you become a drunkard, then that's going to be the most important thing in your life is finding your next drink. Okay. And don't we even refer to alcohol as a spirit? Yeah. Sure. Okay. The Lord, to whom they're committing themselves, we know now, is a spirit. And it's a God who wants his spirit to live with and to reside within mm-hmm. his people. It probably is indicating here that he wants those who are fully devoted to him 
to be filled with his spirit. Yeah. Ephesians 5, don't be drunk with wine, which is destructive, but be filled with That's the exactly spirit. That's exactly it. Yeah. Now, what would touching a dead body have to do with wanting to show your devotion to the Lord? Well, I don't know if this is what you're going for, but in Jewish ceremonial law, you had to maintain a certain level of purity in order yes. to be able to worship. And out of 61 things that made you ceremonially unclean, touching a dead body was the worst. Right. And we say, well, why in the world would that be? Could I suggest that one possibility is that the Lord of Scripture reveals himself as the eternal, immortal God. God is life. So the person who wants to voluntarily show their devotion and commitment to him would say they want to commit themselves to life. And what in the world would not cutting your hair have to do with it? Well, the New Testament talks about a woman's hair is her glory, right? So it may have something to do with that. It may just have something to do with the glory of our provider who gives us everything. I mean, we do nothing to make, yeah, covers us. We do nothing to make our hair grow or nothing to do many other things for ourselves. So it's a dependency. Right. So if you're devoting yourself wholly to the Lord, you're devoting yourself to one whose spirit is life and who is a provider. So here's the question. Would the Lord ask anyone to devote themselves to his spirit, to his life, to his provision, if he was not first fully devoted to them. Mm-hmm. Isn't that what we have in the Nazarite vow? We have a God who has voluntarily offered himself his unconditional provision as he's teaching them to learn to depend on him, to trust on him, to follow him. Mm. A God who says that I'm a God who wants to bless and keep you. I'm a God who wants to be gracious to you, mm. to turn my face and my attention and my ear and my heart to you and give you peace. That's the basis of any devotion and commitment to the Lord, whether it's a Nazarite vow or the decisions that we'll make in this day. God's commitment to bless his people is really good news for us. It makes deciding to commit ourselves to him really the sensible thing to do, doesn't it? We've got one more 10-minute segment of this conversation to go, and so we're going to close this study by focusing on the promise of peace that's found there in this surprise in the wilderness blessing in number six. Because peace, isn't that something that we all want, we all long for in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our churches, in our nation, in our world? Yeah, so many levels at which there is conflict and unrest and stress, generally a lack of peace. And so the promise of peace, that's where this study called A Surprise in the Wilderness ends up. But uh, first, let's take a moment to preview where the group will be headed in our next Discover the Word podcast. On the next Discover the Word podcast, be part of a fascinating and insightful study that Elisa leads the group into called Sinner's Dinners. Jesus seemed to make a habit of dining with sinful people. And where we might think that's just a certain type of person, he began to make it clear that it was every person. Every one of us is broken, and therefore every one of us is sinful, and therefore everyone is invited to his table. And that means everybody, not just some people. Sinners' dinners, settings in Jesus' life where he dined shared a meal with other people. Yeah, don't miss our next study together 
on the Discover the Word podcast. And now, the promise of peace and what that looks like will be a great way to conclude this study of A Surprise in the Wilderness. How many of you have been to Israel? I haven't. You haven't? I have. Bill, you have? I have not. So half and half here at the table. All right, but I'll (laughs) bet you know this. What's the standard greeting in Israel, in the Middle East, whether it's a Jew or an Arab? Well, for the Jew, it's shalom, and for the Arab, it's salam. And they both mean? Peace. Peace. Mm -hmm. Uh Now, when they say that, you're in the Middle East, and someone comes and says, shalom, peace. What do they mean by that? That's a good question. Well, shalom, which we translate peace, just meant well-being, God's best. Yeah. Whatever comes from God to help you to your fullness. I'm remembering back to when I was in high school. I had just given my life to Jesus and was so excited about it. And I had a very dear friend who is Jewish, and she didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. But in those days, I was into some art, and I created a batik, which is fabric that you use with wax, Mm -hmm. and it has crackled look to it. But it was a dove with a rose in its mouth. Her name was Sharon. And I put the word shalom on it because I understood it meant peace. And to me, it was a way of reaching out to create a common ground together on honoring her faith and recognizing my roots in her faith. That's, That's really, what I think of here. That's really good. As we're having this conversation. That's really good. And I think on that basis, going back to Daniel, your question of what's in people's hearts, my guess is in a lot of people, it's just the customary way of knowing yeah. it. Yeah. And some people, they probably really mean it. It's a gracious way of greeting. And doesn't everybody's heart, whether we realize it or not, long for peace, sure. long for restoration, yeah. wholeness of life, which... As you indicate, that's really what it meant. Well, with that background, let's go back one more time <laughs> to the Aaronic blessing or the priestly blessing. This very short blessing that in the middle of the wilderness and within a, a period in which God was giving his laws to the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai shows God's desire to bless his people. And as we read it one more time, let's look at how this prayer, how it unfolds and where it ends. Okay. Daniel, would you begin? Sure. Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, thus shall you bless the Israelites. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the Israelites and I then will bless them. Now, I recognize these words, and we talked a little bit in the first week about how this is a benediction Mm. that we hear today often. Yeah. Last time we talked about the Nazarite vow. Yeah. And basically people that desire to set themselves apart. But here we have God putting his name, which we've talked about as well, on this people to set them apart. And we're getting ready to look at the other bookend to this blessing. Right which is a bunch of sacrifices and things exactly. that seem very <laughs> you know. So what we're talking about, as you indicate, we mm. want to talk about context. Mm. Here's this wonderful blessing, and how does it end? What does God promise? That he's going to put his name on the Israelites and bless them. He's going to bless them. And the longing, the promise of this God prior to that is what? He will give them peace. He'll give them peace. peace. Yeah. As you indicated, Daniel, in our last conversation, we talked about the unusual context of this. Not only is it in a season of law, the giving of the commandments, and not only is it in the wilderness, but it's the bookend on the left is the Nazarite vow. 
And let me just say quickly, in this vow, which was given to either men or women who wanted to voluntarily show their devotion to the Lord, we see in the Aaronic blessing indication that anyone who wants to devote themselves to the Lord needs to do so in the awareness that the Lord has first devoted himself to us. Mm. In response to his Yeah, right. The Nazarite vow was like, would be a response to the God who had already shown his love for Israel by rescuing them out of Egypt, and then day after day providing them with food and with water and with protection in a place mm. that no human mm. could provide for themselves. Mm. So now the question is context. Okay, context, context. <laughs> the context of this promise of peace and of the graciousness of God on the left book end is the Nazarite vow. On the right is what? A bunch of sacrifices and ultimately the setup of the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. Right, it's this enormous amount of data about how the Lord wanted Moses and his people to consecrate the tabernacle. Hmm. Now, the tabernacle is what? Well, Daniel just referred to it as the tent of meeting. It was kind of the centerpiece of Jewish life in the wilderness. All the tribes would camp around them, and that was where everything came for worship, for sacrifice, and for community. But it was impermanent. There would be a temple one day, and so this was... In preparation right. for that, a it, house of worship. It was a foreshadowing mm-hmm. of the temple that would come. But let's mm-hmm. go ahead and look in Scripture and just okay. see where we're getting this, okay? okay? Exodus chapter 25 and verses 8 through 9. And Bill, I think as we turn there, it's interesting because if anyone has seen a picture, a diagram mm-hmm. of how the tribes of Israel arrange themselves in the wilderness, it's this picture with the tabernacle right in the center. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Moses and the priests are around it. And then around them on all four sides yeah. are these tribes of Israel. So at the heart of Israel was this tabernacle. Now, I think we're going to get a little bit more yeah. indication of why that's so significant from uh, Exodus chapter 25, verses 8 and 9. Elisa, do you have that I there? I do. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Okay, what do you see in that statement in those two verses? It says, a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. Okay, that's the significance. We've already talked about the fact that in providing for his people and being gracious to them, he's been to them like a cloud in the daytime over their heads, giving them a shadow, otherwise in a desert where the sun would just eat them up and as a pillar of fire at night to give them protection and to give them light. This God now says, this is where I will be among you. It's quite a picture there, isn't there? Well, and it's fascinating that they're all living in tents, and God asked them to make him a tent too. Mm -hmm. Just like they're in transition, going from slavery, they're in the wilderness, they're going toward the promised land. God is experiencing that and walking with them through that in that same temporary traveling type of way. Isn't it so Emmanuel, God with us, Yeah, where Jesus takes the form of a man? And I think about the parable of the birds that Paul Harvey shared years and years ago about, unless you become a bird, you can't show the birds the way out into the barn to safety. This is a dwelling among us. And in John 1, where what you're talking about is described, when it says... The word became flesh and dwelled among us. The word dwelled means tabernacled among us. Yeah. And even our earthly bodies are yeah, called the tent, the earthly yeah, the tent, earthly the tents. dwelling for God. That's right. So it is Emmanuel, it is God with us. And we've got this picture in the wilderness of God living among his people. 
Now, it is so amazing when you come to this right bookend as we move forward away from the Aaronic blessing. As you indicated before, you go into page after page after page after page of detail. In fact, in that text that you just read a minute ago, the Lord said, I want you to do it exactly throughout the scriptures, whether we're in Exodus or Leviticus, where we've got all this detail about the priesthood, all the detail about the sacrifice, all the detail about the furnishing of this temple, all the detail about the craftsmen that the Spirit of God is going to enable to make this. Mm -hmm. And I think this God who has revealed his graciousness, his unconditional love for people who are caught up in the consequences and in the chaos of our own humanity. This God who doesn't change has a plan, and he's signaling through all of this detail of the tabernacle how the people are supposed to arrange themselves around it, the nature of the priesthood. It's all going to move forward, and Bill, you've already alluded to it. Mm -hmm. The New Testament tells us that when God took on flesh, when he tabernacled himself in fullness, all of a sudden we begin to see that all along the way, this God who was expressing his desire to bless his people through the ironic blessing, he had so much more to tell them, so much more to show them how through his own life among us, he would in his own way that we never ever could have expected through Christ, our Savior and our Lord, he would restore everything, everything that we've lost. We're still on that journey. We have yet to see that complete fullness, that complete peace. But the shalom is coming. The peace, the salam, the shalom is coming through Christ, who is God's way of showing his graciousness and his way to give us peace. That is a great way to end our series on this rather surprising blessing, a surprise in the wilderness and its promise of peace. Mark Han, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day are on the table for this Discover the Word series with you, exploring the key nature of a blessing tucked away in kind of an unlikely spot in Numbers chapter 6. But this blessing and the promises associated with it really are a key part of the story the Bible is telling. It truly is a surprise in the wilderness. Now, Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And uh, can I take just a moment to share with you a really encouraging comment from a listener that just really blessed us? This is from Anna Maria, and she says, Hello, I have recently moved to a new state, not knowing anyone, and I want to thank you for your continued ministry. I feel as though I have taken friends from Our Daily Bread Ministries with me, and it's a great source of comfort as I continue my journey with Jesus in a new location. I appreciate all your efforts in helping me to discover His Word and making it so applicable to my life, as I am sure countless others do as well. I appreciate the honesty, humor, and realness of the members of the Discover the Word group. They bring such insights that challenge my thinking every day. And so thank you again, and may God continue to bless all you do for helping me to understand and apply His Word in my new place that I call home. Sincerely, Anna Maria. 
Wow, she blessed us with that. And we're so thankful that God is able to use our times together to draw listeners into a closer relationship with Him while feeling that sense of community and that we're making this journey together. So thank you, Anna Maria, and thank you for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries. Thank you.